When I think I can make a difference, I try to make the difference. It's not, but the reaction is not beating people over the head and calling them a racist. It's, why'd you say that? What makes you think that about me? When I can't, which is like the car driving past and call it, uh, yelling out the N-word, there's nothing I can do about that. So stuff like that, I got to roll off. It's got to roll off me because there's nothing. The worst thing I can do is to internalize it. That's the worst thing I can do. And I don't want to do that. Hello, it's Marcy Bullock with season two of your favorite career readiness podcast. Learn tips on personal and professional development. Hear inspiring stories of overcoming obstacles. I devote my life to helping other people figure out what to devote theirs to. This is Marcy Bullock with the most important five P's. Stay present, trust the process, explore your path, release the pressure valve, and unleash your potential. Hello, this is Marcy Bullock with Wolfpack Career Chats. And live from California, I have Alma Clayton Pedersen. Welcome, Alma. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're so happy to have you today. You have such an interesting background as the Chief Executive Officer at Emeritus Consulting. Tell our listeners a little bit about your career journey and how you got to where you are today. Well, that career journey is very long, but all focused on public engagement and uh, public service. Our firm, Emeritus, focuses only on nonprofits. We address no on and mostly in higher education. Uh, we have done other types of educational uh, endeavors, but mostly in higher ed. I am the CEO, um, and um, my daughter is the president, and we both bring different uh, skills to the enterprise. Um, me and my longstanding work in education, and her and her longstanding work as a, as as a lawyer. <laughs> So together, I think we make a great group and we draw on uh, different uh, constituents or different people with expertise that we would like to bring to the table. It's not just the two of us. We've actually engaged at least eight people in one, at one institution. Fantastic. And, and would you mind sharing with our listeners what identities you attest to with yourself? She, her, hers. Uh, I am an African-American woman. Um, I'm a, a senior citizen, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, I, I'm a Californian now, um, but was born and raised in Chicago. So I'm a Midwesterner at heart, but um, now in love with California. And um, I, like, I like helping. My grammar school was Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Seriously, that was its name. I've been thinking like that ever since. That my job or my role in the world is to assist where I can. We're working really hard to educate our stakeholders about equity. And I know that's a topic you feel very passionate about. Tell us your definition of equity and why it's important. I don't know that I have a single definition. And I would refer you to USC's uh, Equity Institute for a really robust description of equity. But in practice for me, it's trying to understand differences in ways that don't make judgments about people and that we behave in ways that address others' needs. 
So I might have to do one thing for you, but I couldn't possibly do the exact same thing for somebody else because they're in a different space. Their needs are different. Uh, their, their desires are different and their knowledge bases are different. So equity to me tries to understand where the, where not just individuals, but groups are as a whole, especially in institutions, and then move from there, move forward in a way that uh, addresses each one's needs equitably. That's a wonderful defini- definition because when you identified yourself, you talked about your uh, your gender, you talked about your age, you talked about your ethnicity, you talked about your part of the country. And some people may not be in the power group in many of those areas, um, which would not be an African-American woman. And even for me, I can relate because I'm in a group that's minoritized based on religion. I'm I'm a Jewish woman. And Mm so I've often been in cases where I have not felt included, especially living in the South. I wonder if you can share what your journey has been like and how that has influenced the direction you go when you interact in your personal and professional life. Interestingly enough, I let things roll off me because I've learned that holding on to them is to my detriment, not to the person who has been egregious toward me. You know, that person just gets to walk away and do whatever they want. Well, I'm left with a hole that shouldn't have been a hole in the first place, but I got to fill it. So for me, it's recognizing when to take it into account, when to address um, uh, things that upset me, when, when people... Uh, make judgments about me based on my skin color, based on my gender, based on my hair. I, I can't tell you the number of ways people have I, identified me based on what they see rather than looking at what's in my heart. Because, you know, if, if you ever talk to me, you would never think the kinds of things I've heard people say. Racial slur is out of a car while I'm doing gardening, while I was in, I lived in Nashville. So it's hard to, to, um, to manage all of this. Uh, And so my goal in life is to help people learn how to manage it and not be scathed by the inequities that we face, but to just keep on persevering until, uh, and and making change, of course, for then the perseverance is toward making change (laughs) and to hold ourselves full, keep ourselves full. And it's so challenging, like you said, uh, especially right now in our culture, in the workforce, and even in our families, we're so divided in many ways. And I I like how you said you let things roll off of you. I guess I'd want to know how to do that because I'm not great at that. I am the kind of person that wants to call it out, that wants to educate someone, that wants to let them know that what they said was totally inappropriate and how it hurt me. I I, I guess there's different approaches. Let, let me say it in a different way. When I think I can make a difference, I try to make the difference. It's not, but the reaction is not beating people over the head and calling them a racist. It's, why'd you say that? What makes you think that about me? When I can't, which is like the car driving past and call it, uh, yelling out the N-word, there's nothing I can do about that. So stuff like that, I got to roll off. It's got to roll off me because there's nothing. The, the worst thing I can do is to internalize it. That's the worst thing I can do. And I don't want to do that. 
because who does it hurt? It's a double hurt. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the initial action and my reaction to it. So I, I, I want to, this is why I am still here. So why I'm still doing this work because I have hope that by interacting with one another, people who are different from one another in many different ways, that we have a chance to learn from each other and build um, a better community, a, a, be, a bigger, better community uh, of, that is diverse. 100%. And when when listening to you describe that, Alma, I, I know I've caught myself doing that, you know, making that mistake, prejudging someone. Uh, and and I, want, I want to say I'm not prejudiced. Have you ever found yourself doing it? And what did you learn from it? Well, I learned that I am in certain circumstances, but definitely not around race. Uh, on, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to speak my piece. You know, if, if we're engaged in a conversation about it, I'm going to speak my piece and try and do it in a way that helps the, the other person learn and grow. I'm an educator through and through and, and have been since I was a child. I started tutoring in fifth grade. So for me, this notion of teaching is, is, is power and it's powerful if you have done well. Unfortunately, way too many students um, who are underserved don't have good teachers, which is why we're where we are right now, unfortunately. Absolutely. And I, I like that you mentioned the resource earlier about the USC. This is University of Southern California, California. correct? Uh, the Equity. Equity Institute. Equity Institute. We'll put that in our show notes. Are there other things that you recommend people do to educate themselves as far as maybe books or other things they could do to increase their DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and now we say belonging, B, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. knowledge? I, I can't pinpoint specific things, but let me say a little bit more about the USC's uh, Equity Institute. It really is focused on institutional level work. So, and that's why I put it out there. Uh, We work at institutional level, but we can't do it all. We're a very small firm um, and we're already (laughs) booked to the max. And so, and especially since um, schools have opened up and and after the realization of how far we need to go in order to make campuses equitable. Um, but the USC really focuses, on, like we do, um, on, on institutions, like teams. At, uh, and there's a, a wide span of um, learning that they have available for those campuses. And that's why I put it out there, because this will be in different campuses. What a great idea. And when you are educating your clients, what are some of the things that you are working to help them understand? Mostly to understand their community and to understand who's being affected by uh, discrimination, exclusion, and a lack of belonging and why they need to address it and how they might work institutionally to address it. And I think that's, that's the big key. A lot of times you'll see this work in pockets in institutions, and unless it's broad, it has a minimal impact. Once it becomes broad, then everybody everybody gains from it because people aren't afraid to talk to somebody. If you're white and you want, if you're afraid to talk to somebody, you're a Christian and you're afraid to talk to a Jew or an Indian who, who practices a whole other religion. You see what I'm saying? So, yes. that, but once we open it up so that many people 
have a, a, a raised level of consciousness, I think you have an opportunity for change. But that takes leadership. Administration has to be cognizant and on it all the time, not every day, seven, 24 seven, but, oh, we finished with that. You never finish with this because people come as individuals to our institutions, staff, faculty, students. It is ongoing and lifelong and, and constantly learning and growing and correcting yourself when you make mistakes, which we all do. So if you uh, are talking to students about thinking when they transition to the work world about the future of work, what are some of the things that you think about, Alma? I think today's generation is much more attuned, um, but they're also more, how do I say it, demanding that other that people change and that's good in a sense but making demands on people often go like this go right over their heads because don't yell at me don't tell me I'm a bad person help understand try and understand who they are and get at the root of what what they're talking about and address that and rather than putting a blanket over everybody who has makes a comment that is not within your purview of grace. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that we all make mistakes. So that if we began with, say, did you really mean that? Uh, just questioning the motivation behind a comment that, you know, raises your ire. I think we get further faster. Uh, because when you start beating me up, I stop listening. When you When you don't come at me as a human being, then... Even when you have treated, when that other person has not treated you like a human being, you've devolved to who they are rather than rising to the occasion and and not, you know, trying to make them look bad, but helping them understand how how devastating those comments are or their behavior is. I, I just feel like I'm a counselor also. So um, human development counseling is my master's. So I've learned very, very directly how to first listen. And even though I have that degree, I sometimes forget. And so I know how it's easy to get angry and just go off, but it's counterproductive. And when you do feel the emotions coming up, because we're human and, Mm -hmm. you know, feelings get hurt and people get angry or people get anxious or scared, what are some of the things from your counseling background that you recommend as a technique to help when you're in that situation? Well, I'm stating it to some degree, and that is the question. People are, are always open to questions and answering those questions. Uh, even if you don't like the answer, they're almost always open to those questions. So that's my first strategy. And then educate yourself about how to deal with specific circumstances so that you can then educate others. Because I think about it, again, as a spread effect. If I if somebody has educated me, I can then educate somebody else and then they can do and so on and so forth. 
Yes, one, 100%. And one of the things that we, we like to do at the end of our podcast is to go into the future. And I'm, I'm envisioning that crystal ball 20 years from now when maybe we've made some more progress. Because, I mean, you and I were both alive for Rodney King. We were obviously here for George Floyd. Um, what do you think the world will look like in the next couple of decades as far as um, some of the challenges we're facing now? One thing I think uh, people who, who carry prejudice and enact their prejudices through their actions don't understand, or maybe they do, is that often they are un, in the minority. So if you look at the world overall and, and, and look at the people, they're mostly people of color. And so if you think globally, you have to say to yourself, okay, so if we're going to survive in this global world with all of the environmental stuff that's going on, all the fiscal stuff going on, and all the interpersonal stuff going on, wouldn't it be better if I, I understood others, as particularly people of color who make up most of the globe? Wouldn't that put me in a better position to do good in the world as many uh, of those who fight this work? Our churchgoers. So, so I say, make your life real. I mean, enact what you believe. And many of, of, of the folks who are the most racist, are, or, or who are racist, let me not say most, are also religious. And I see those as as uh, counterproductive. I, I just don't see them sinking, especially if you're Christian. Especially because that was my background. And that if you believe that Christ walked this earth, you know darn well that he never rejected anybody. I mean, if you believe that. So what what are you doing? Are you being Christ-like? I don't think so. While we're in our time machine looking ahead, what advice would you give to yourself today, your older, wiser self? What do you need to hear right now? I'm, I'm, t- I'm tired. I need to be telling myself, be patient, Alma, because at some point you're going to retire and you're going to have to just live in this world and not try and, and teach the world. <laughs> so be patient because it took a long time for us to get here as human beings. And it may take uh, an even longer time. I hope not. I hope we can speed the process because we're in a different space now. But um, to have the patience that I will have the patience to continue to be who I am and not turn into somebody who is, you know, pointing their finger at other as others and being angry. I don't want to be angry. I love that. I love that. I learned so much from you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.